IBN is proud to bring you the following podcast. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm TJ O'Hara, the principal political analyst for IBN, the independent voter news. Our goal on Deconstructed is to break down important political issues with outstanding guests so you can develop your own more informed opinion. My guest today is Ross C. Anderson, known to most as Rocky Anderson. He is an accomplished attorney, activist, and politician. From 2000 to 2008, Mr. Anderson served consecutive terms as the 33rd mayor of Salt Lake City, Utah. He's the founder and executive director of High Road for Human Rights and has earned recognition for his advocacy in areas such as climate protection, immigration reform, restorative criminal justice, LGBTQ rights, and drug reform. Originally a Democrat, Mr. Anderson left them to help found the Justice Party in 2011 and run as its presidential candidate in 2012. And he's continued to be politically active since that time. He's here to share his view on politics and talk about the Justice Party and what it has to offer. Welcome to Deconstructed, Rocky. Great to be here with you, TJ. Nice to become reacquainted. Well, Rocky, I've had the pleasure of knowing you since 2012. I still remember when the head of the Conservative Party USA asked me as the Whigs presidential nominee to chair a committee to establish a consensus of ideas that spanned a range of liberal and conservative perspectives. Two presidential candidates had the integrity to join me. One was Andre Barnett, who was the conservative nominee of the Reform Party, and the other was you as the nominee of the relatively new liberal-leaning Justice Party. While it was too late in the election cycle to really achieve the goal, I just wanted to tell you publicly how much I respect Andre and you for being willing to even entertain the discussion. It shows how both of you put people's best interests above that of even your parties. Thank you. And, you know, it's so important that we do everything we can to get out the word because we know that the media, you can't even call it the mainstream media anymore because there's so many media sources all over the place, most of them with their own political agendas, but they don't serve the public very well because they only provide the horse race information, the battles between the two major parties, and so much gets left out in the meantime. Let's go back to the inception of the Justice Party. You used to be a Democrat. Then you renounced the party in no uncertain terms, stating, quote, it is a gutless, unprincipled party bought and paid for by the same interests that buy and pay for the Republican Party. That's pretty strong language. What brought you to that decision? It may be strong language, but it's the truth. When's the last time you heard anybody in either of these parties advocate campaign finance reform? because they are feeding from the same trough of corrupting money. So for a number of reasons, I had it with the Democratic Party. It had been building up for a long time. I was actually the Democratic nominee for Congress here after a very hard-fought primary battle in 1996. But going back just to 1996, I was advocating in my primary race marriage equality, same-sex marriage. And the day after I won that primary race, 20 Democratic office holders and candidates held a joint press conference to distance themselves from me because of my stand on same-sex marriage and making it clear. They used the words, we vehemently disagree with his stand on same-sex marriage. So... You can take two things away from that. First of all, the clear and overwhelming sense that these politicians are total cowards when it comes to basic principle. 
And secondly, the fact that the people at the grassroots level pushing finally, pushing harder than ever on these issues accomplished in relatively few years marriage equality in this country. And it's here to stay. I don't care what Clarence Thomas and his cronies do on the Supreme Court, because I know that they've got same-sex marriage in their sights as well as affirmative action and everything else. But the people end up prevailing when the people create movements and let those in the establishment know we're not going away. That's been the history of social progress in this country since the anti-slavery movement, the women's suffrage movement. Just think of it, the labor movement, the early environmental movement, civil rights movement, and most recently, the LGBTQ plus movement. Even here in Utah, talk about the power of the people. Our legislature was adamantly opposed to legalized cannabis, medical or otherwise. The LDS church was adamantly opposed to it. Our governor was adamantly opposed to it. And the people ran an initiative and they let it be known that the majority of voters in this state want legalized medical cannabis. And now we have what people 10 years ago would have said is impossible in the state of Utah. We have legal medical cannabis. And that's because of the power of the people. So that's where my efforts are now. I don't care about partisanship. I think it not only tears this country apart and diminishes the quality of most of our lives day to day, because we're all feeling it like probably never before, certainly in our lifetimes, but it doesn't get us anywhere. We become paralyzed and it becomes the fight between the parties over partisanship rather than solving our nation's problems. And when you look at what the majority of people want in this country, we're simply not getting it from our government. And so now, and this is a long answer to your question, TJ, but now what we're doing is concentrating not on election, not on getting candidates to run, because I don't think we're ever going to solve most of our problems. We're never going to see major changes in this country that the majority of people want if we're just going to wait to get enough of the so-called right people elected, because even when we get the right people elected, look what happens. The corrupting influence of money takes over. We still pay outrageous prices for drugs. We still don't have universal access to health care. We still have presidential made wars, totally contrary to the war powers clause. You go on and on and on. No affordable housing. You know, there are countries that have universal housing vouchers. They don't have any of these kinds of problems we have in this country, for which there are all solutions. And the majority of people want to see those solutions, but we're denied it by the two major parties and the people in power. And we'll continue to be denied it until the people come together, regardless of political affiliations, and say, we're going to fight these battles together. And we're going to insist, as the preamble of our Constitution portends, and that is that it's supposed to be we, the people, deciding how it's going to go. But it isn't going to happen if we don't get away from our computers and our mouse-click activism and organize and fight like hell for these changes and do it cooperatively. I agree with you, Rocky. 
Let's take a trip down memory lane back to 2012, because I don't think a lot of the positions of the Justice Party are at odds with your platform positions back then. But a lot of the things that you said back then, the country seems to have caught up to in some regards, at least they're beginning to talk about it. One of the things in your platform was the promotion of public interest through the defeat of systemic corruption. We hear systemic corruption quite a bit today. What did you mean by systemic corruption and what did you see as the solution to that back in 2012? Well, these are both very related. But first of all, it's our corrupt campaign finance system and the fact that very wealthy individuals and and wealthy corporations with their lobbyists basically run and own our government. Once you've let it get to that point, then you're not going to see the changes unless the people rise up and demand it. And that's not just a letter to the editor or a letter to your congressperson once in a while. It's a major movement, like the civil rights movement. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. went to visit Lyndon Johnson in the White House shortly after the 1964 Civil Rights Act was signed. And he said, now it's time for Voting Rights Act. And Johnson said, oh, no, you know, it's way too early and this country isn't ready for it. And we just got through this with the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr. said, no, it is time. He went back. They organized. Folks in Selma rose up. There was violence against them. They weren't violent. That's, and that's what a great example and how dignified these civil rights advocates were at the time. Then there were the Freedom Riders, and there were people from all over the country came in, and Lyndon Johnson saw the writing on the wall. He called a joint session of Congress, gave one of the greatest speeches of all time. I commend anybody, please read Lyndon Johnson's speech advocating the Voting Rights Act. And TJ, within weeks, Congress passed the Voting Rights Act. Didn't happen because we elected the right people. It happened because there were people with great leadership that rose up and made it clear, we're not going away until we see this happen. And it was the right thing to happen. Now we see these efforts, especially among the Republican Party, chip away at voting rights to make it harder for people to be counted. And once you achieve these things, it's not just written in stone and you can walk away and go back to sleep. It requires generational vigilance. Every single generation needs to stand up and make sure that these protections for people to have the vote, that's a constant fight. And we've seen how Republican forces right now are trying to diminish that. And what a shameful period of time for the Republican Party in this country. But it's not, again, I don't think this is, ought to be about partisanship. It ought to be about agreement on fundamental values and all of us fighting for it. So going back to what we were doing in 2012, I think everything that we were talking about, the cl- and fundamentally cleaning up the system, it also entailed cleaning up the corruption among our financial institutions and never ever allowing what happened in 28, the economic meltdown, the destruction of so many people's pensions, over 6 million people losing their homes to foreclosure. And this episode was so rotten from front to back, from the phony mortgages, the people, these guys going out, I mean, most of them had no training in the financial industry field, 
going out and preying on people to sign up for loans that they knew there was no way they were going to be able to pay them back, and then phoning up the information, income, asset information, and then it goes through, they sell these loans, the rating companies phony up the ratings, so pension companies would buy what were considered AAA securities, and it goes on and on. And then, and then Goldman Sachs ends up with a bunch of them. They realize they're toxic, they're going to be worthless, so they call up their own clients and get their clients to buy them. Anyway, this was nothing but the greatest greed and corruption and the preying on middle America and the poor. And then our government turns around and bails out the people that are actually responsible. They walk away, a lot of them with millions of dollars in bonuses. They all survive, and the government does nothing to bail out the victims of this horrendous corruption. And a lot of those protections, by the way, we know Republicans are always in the pockets of the financial institutions, but look at what Bill Clinton did with Robert Rubin, who had been co-chair of Goldman Sachs. Maybe I'm getting into this too much, but there's so much corruption by those who have the power, who have the wealth, and we're the ones paying for it. And we can put an end to it if we'll rise up together, organized against it. Well, Rocky, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about your political insights in the Justice Party when we come back. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers is the only association of nonpartisan election reform leaders, organizations, and industry professionals dedicated to increasing electoral competition and voter choice. Learn more at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back. My guest today is Rocky Anderson, the former mayor of Salt Lake City, Utah, a founder of the Justice Party and the party's first presidential candidate in 2012. Rocky, let's talk about the Justice Party as it stands today. Explain the vision and mission of the Justice Party. What differentiates it from other parties? The Justice Party is absolutely unique. It's unlike any other party. First of all, we're not exclusive. We don't ask people to change political affiliations. If you want to stay a Democrat because you want to make sure there's never going to be another Trump, more power to you. Or if you want to stay a Republican because you believe in certain Republican values. But there are so many issues, so many areas of vast importance where the majority of people in this country are in agreement and our government led by the two duopolist parties, are giving us just the opposite. There's this enormous gap between what the majority of people in this country want and what we're getting from our government. So we do ask you to join the party, but it's not exclusive. You can do whatever else you want. We don't view politics as a, an us versus them team sport. We view politics very seriously as something where we need to get beyond partisanship, these kind of superficial divisions between people, and start addressing the serious problems in this country because we've got so many of them that are being unaddressed when the two major parties are just left on their own. The second thing is, if we do run candidates again, and I did run in 2012, but I knew I wasn't going to have an impact. I wasn't going to be like Ralph Nader in 2000 or Jill Stein in 2016. 
And if it looked like we were going to have that kind of an impact, I certainly would have pulled out of any battleground state. So that's the second point. We will never be a spoiler. The Green Party, frankly, and I appreciate their values and stands on a lot of issues, but I think their approach politically is disastrous because they'll just keep marching forward, trying to get as many votes as they can so they can get matching funds during the next campaign. But it seems so self-interested rather than being fundamentally interested in what's going to happen in this country. Because if Ralph, and I know there's disputes, Ralph and I have had conversations among ourselves about this, but if there's any chance at all that Ralph Nader was going to impact the outcome in the election in 2000, especially in Florida, yeah, I think he should have pulled out. I wish he would have. And I think things would have gone a lot better for him because nobody's been responsible for more great social progress in his lifetime, I think, during our lifetime, than Ralph Nader. He's been my total hero, but I think what happened in 2000 was a disaster for this country. A few hundred votes in Florida made the difference between George W. Bush and Al Gore. And the third way that we're very unique is that we're mostly about grassroots activism, organizing people, again, without regard to political affiliations, organizing people so we can all push together on issues. The majority of people in this country want universal health care. The majority of people in this country want a higher minimum wage. The majority of people in this country want an end to government abuses like warrantless surveillance of our own citizens. The majority of people want to see an end to presidential-made wars, which are absolutely contrary to the war power clause of the Constitution and what our founders wanted to see happen. The majority of people in this country want to see an end to these financial corruption that led to the 2008 financial meltdown and that still set this country up. We're very vulnerable to the same kind of thing happening because of deregulation of derivatives and things like when Clinton brought in Robert Rubin from Goldman Sachs and they did away with the protections of the Glass-Steagall Act depression-era legislation that basically said you can't have combined ownership of investment and commercial banks and insurance companies. These are the kinds of changes in policy, gifts to the financial sector. By the way, when Rubin left government, this is this horrible revolving door we've got from industry to government back to industry. Robert Rubin was at Goldman Sachs, came in as Treasury Secretary under Clinton, made these changes that were all just such a huge gift to these financial companies that then could go and do their reckless speculations, driving this country into financial ruin. And then Robert Rubin went back, worked for Citigroup and pocketed some, I think it was $116 million, either in money or stock options. This is how it all works. And in the meantime, we, the people, are like sheep going to the slaughter. And we can't be those sheep anymore. So that's what the Justice Party is about. And these are the three steps toward grassroots organizing that makes a real difference. Raising public awareness, getting people on the same page, organizing, and then mobilizing people and getting people in there. You know, we had a 60,000 person march here in Salt Lake City, immigration march years ago. Most of them were Latinos. 
cause. It should have been everybody that cares. It should have been feminists. It should have been people who would later be in BLM. We should all be allies for each other on these issues. And if we were, we would see these kinds of changes in government. We're not going to see the changes by sitting back, getting excited about elections, pouring all this money and energy into hoping that we'll get the right people elected, voting. And I certainly encourage everybody to vote. If young people would vote, we could have a solid Democratic majority in Congress. There's no question about that. It's so important, but it's not the long-term solution. It's not going to be sufficient. What will be sufficient is if we all organize in these grassroots movements for change and we never let up until we get it. We could see universal affordable housing in this country like many other nations have achieved. Affordable housing is such a horrendous problem. And yet it seems that those who aren't suffering because of lack of affordable housing they're concerned about another issue. Well, why aren't we all joining together so that we can have full reproductive freedom for men and women? And we all need to be each other's allies. These shouldn't just be women's movements. This should be all of us fighting together. So I have great optimism if we will all come together and that optimism is built on the fact that those grassroots movements in the past did achieve so much social and economic progress. Well, Rocky, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about your political insights and the Justice Party when we come back. Looking for an insider's perspective? Join IVN's principal political analyst, Dr. T.J. O'Hara, as he deconstructs America's most pressing issues with notable guests from across the political spectrum. Subscribe to Deconstructed for fresh perspectives and no partisan spin. Welcome back. My guest today is Rocky Anderson a founder of the Justice Party and the party's first presidential candidate in 2012, as well as the founder and executive director of High Road for Human Rights. Rocky, in the last segment, we were talking about the Justice Party. And I want to clarify from your perspective, is it a party in the traditional sense or is it more focused on real solutions to real issues? We are not focused on elections. We may run candidates again, because certainly like in 2012, when you and I were running, we were getting the word out. We were providing a point of view. We were addressing issues that were not being addressed by the candidates for the two major parties. When Teddy Roosevelt ran as a third party candidate with the Progressive Party, all the kinds of things he was advocating caught on with the public, like an eight hour workday, like elderly pensions, now Social Security, all sorts of labor protections, the kinds of things he was talking about ultimately ended up being implemented into law. So even though he lost the election, he won in the sense of things he was advocating, a lot of them were implemented into law. So, so we may run in some elections. We will not be a spoiler. We won't continue to run in battleground states and presidential elections, for instance. We would like to run at local and state levels as well. But fundamentally, our real focus is in getting people, regardless of political affiliation, organized together so that we can get our message to them and get them, instead of being all these isolated complaints and calls for change, collectively pulling them together so there's this massive roar among the people 
for the kinds of changes that we've seen come about from so many other movements. So that's what the Justice Party is doing now. I know that the word party, people's brains automatically click into, oh, the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, you're all going to run candidates, you're all going to lose. And they all do almost every time. There have been a few exceptions at county council levels or Bernie Sanders, for instance. But by and large, third party and independent candidates lose. And it's a lot of money and a lot of energy that seems to be wasted. And in some cases, the votes split. So we end up with the worst of the major two-party candidates getting elected. That's not what the Justice Party is about. We are about getting people who care enough to become activists, that they can join with other people to make their voices known. And is this a good time for me to tell people about how they might become involved with the Justice Party? Let's reserve that till the end. What I'd like to do is get into at least one issue and give you an opportunity to address it in more of a deep dive. And that's student debt and equal education. I know education is important to both of us. And you talked about debt back in the day when the housing market collapsed. And you talked about some of the issues that were driven, in a sense, by government. How do you see student debt, which is a big issue today? Well, the way our nation has arrived to this point, it is absolutely unconscionable. It is shameful. And both of the two major parties have stood by and actually have contributed to the problem. You know, in 2005, almost all the Republicans, if not all of them, were supporting a bill, and they were doing this on behalf of financial institutions, supported a bill that would make student debt of all categories of debt non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. So TJ, you go out and buy a Ferrari and you go spend up your credit cards and you can't pay them back you can go get them discharged. There are protections in bankruptcy, so you can get a clean start. But if you're a student and you're 18 years of age or in your early 20s and you want to get a higher education and you take out a loan for it, and then that loan ends up accumulating more interest and fines and you can't get it paid off, there aren't any protections for you. You're going to carry that debt to the grave. It means you're completely out the American dream. And you know who voted along with the Republicans to make that debt non-dischargeable? Joe Biden and 17 other Democrats. Joe Biden, by the way, Elizabeth Warren, she was a professor at Harvard at the time, wrote a paper blasting him for what he was doing, noting that he was one of the highest recipients of financial institution campaign contributions, and he was carrying the water for financial institutions to put those who took out student debt in this almost lifetime burden that is hanging over their head, and they can't help their own kids with tuition. They'll never be able to buy homes. It is unbelievable. You won't find another nation in the industrialized world where this happens. What you do find is either no tuition or a cap on tuition. Affordable education, where capable and hardworking students can get an education regardless of where they came from, regardless of their inheritance, regardless of whether they're willing to put their entire financial future on the line with this kind of debt. These are the kinds of solutions that we can find in this country. And the fact is, 
the majority of Republicans, Democrats, independents, the majority of people in this country want to see these changes. They want to see student debt relief. Maybe not just blanket give away billions and billions of dollars in the form of supposed forgiveness, which is just going to enrich these financial institutions, but reform this so that we never have this happen again. We can fix this if we have leadership that's representing the public interest rather than the interest of those who finance their contributions. State universities were set up with the democratic idea that everybody could get a higher education, that it was within reach of just about everybody. You didn't have to have rich parents. You didn't have to put your whole financial future on the line. You could get into these state universities. Well, now these state universities, their tuition is out of reach for so many students. Just consider this one fact and you'll see what a failure our leadership has been in this country. The United States used to be the world leader for producing college graduates with four-year degrees. Now we're 12th in the world, way behind even Russia for producing college graduates. That in itself ought to tell every one of us that we need major changes. And I can tell you, it's not going to change if we're all sitting back waiting to elect the right people and to see them go in and change things. It will happen if we all take to the streets, if we're all joined together across the board without letting these political divisions of partisanship get in between us. And we all say we're not going to stand for it anymore. We want what so many of the other nations in the industrialized world have, as well as affordable housing, as well as universal health care. We can do that for the people of this country, but not if we're just going to sit back, get all excited around election time, cast our votes, and then go back to sleep until the next election. Well, Rocky, in the limited amount of time we have left, where can our listeners go to learn more about the Justice Party, you and the other good works that you're involved in? First of all, our website is justiceparty.us. And there you'll find there's a section of our website that's entitled in the public interest. And that goes through a number of these issues where the majority of people have made clear where they stand on the issues and how we've been totally shafted by the two major parties in control of our government. We've got videos on TikTok. Go to tiktok.com. It's at justiceparty.us. We're on Instagram under justiceparty.us. We've got Twitter account, justiceparty.usa. We're on Facebook, Justice Party Official. We're on LinkedIn. We're on YouTube. We've got so much good information out there. And all we ask for people is to let us know your email address so that we can keep you apprised, not only of the substantive issues, but of the actions that we're taking against those who are in power, against their resistance to these kinds of changes, because it was the people who prevailed, and we can keep doing it if we'll get off our duffs, get away from our computers and the mouse-click activism, and join in this justice movement we're working so hard for with the Justice Party. Rocky Anderson, former mayor, former presidential candidate, founder of a political party and a global human rights organization. I sure hope you don't get bored. As I said at the outset, <laughs> no, I said you know, at the outset 
when everybody can grab their passion, it makes life so much more meaningful and you're a happier person, even though there are the frustrations and the defeats, when you're living for something beyond yourself and you have passion for what you're doing. And I know you do it, TJ. Thank you so much for helping get the word out because that's absolutely essential if we're ever going to organize as a people in this country and achieve the kind of changes that we all want to see. Well, as I said at the outset, I've always had respect for you and what you do, and I always enjoy speaking with you. So keep fighting the good fight, Rocky, and thank you for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you so much, TJ. This podcast is brought to you by IVN.us, an open news platform for independent-minded authors and readers. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to IVN.us where you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or iHeartRadio.